0: well good afternoon everyone you know as I think about health and sickness it's a cycle for us as human beings if you ask somebody on any given day how do you feel you might feel great you might feel so-so you might feel I've never been in worse pain you might feel low and we kind of cycle up and down um, but as I think about our spiritual health, I think sometimes we can experience that same fluctuation. I know I do in my heart. And I long for an upward trajectory. Like every day, you know that song, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And as much as I love to sing it, sometimes I'm not experiencing it as I should. You know? And I think that there is a longing in our hearts for that upward trajectory, for me to be able to look back, you know, as we come to the end of a year, oftentimes we'll reflect and we'll look back, and I long to be the type of person that looks back and say, last year I thought I knew the Lord, but now what an amazing year this has been, like how much more I know Him, how much closer I am to Him. But then I confess, you know, as maybe some of you do, it's not always that way. Sometimes I am on that downward uh, trajectory, whether it might be my circumstances or whatever. And so I've been uh, preaching sort of a series of uh, messages on the book of Second Peter, chapter 1, and I really feel that in those seven things that we are told to add, it's not a formula that we just go through the paces and God blesses it, but there are, I think, there's nothing wrong with thinking of it almost as secrets to spiritual power are contained in those qualities, characteristics that we're encouraged to add to our faith. And if we have that longing for a closer walk with Him, I think we can start uh, making every effort. You know, that's really, if I was going to title the series, that's it. Make every effort to add these things. You know, I think it's an effort that the Lord will bless. I think it's something that he will you know is pleased with and will come in and bless. So, if you just turn there in 2nd Peter chapter 1 We won't be here long. I'll be other places in scripture, but just to get our verse clear for the day, Second Peter 1, because we have that promise, though outwardly we are perishing, because the truth is, the cycle we're going through health-wise, it's a downward spiral. <laughs> we may not like to think of it that way, but we're all destined for the dirt. And so you might feel healthy today, but it won't last. So let's not kid ourselves. We may go up, go down, go up, go down, but eventually we're going down, unless he comes beforehand. But the spiritual cycle is an upward spiral. And so you may feel as if you're on that same roller coaster, but thank God the destiny is not the dirt, the destiny is the clouds. So you might feel like I'm going up, I'm going down, but if you could see it from God's eyes, He has promised us that we're higher now than we were before. It may not feel like that, but live in the good of that promise. Because though outwardly we are perishing, inwardly we are renewed day by day. And that renewal lifts us higher every day. That's a great promise, right? And the means... That God uses to raise us up out of the dust of our humanity into the glory is these spiritual disciplines that we're reading about in 2 Peter. He uses these means to achieve that end. And we've already talked about how we add to our faith virtue or excellence. So I won't go over that again. We also talked about how we add to our faith knowledge. You know, we had that beautiful song, It Passes Knowledge, That Dear Love of Thine. But then we have these other songs that say, Teach Us. And so we need to be teachable. We need to continue to add knowledge. But it has to be added in a way that glorifies God and not ourselves. Read the Bible. That's the lesson there. Read it in power. Be taught by the Spirit. And now we come to verse 6. And add to your knowledge... Self-control. Self-control is a powerful key to godliness. If we could only get our heads around it, if we could only embrace it. It's a word that doesn't come up very often in the New Testament. Maybe like four or five times it comes up. Patience, for example, comes up many times. But self-control, as important as it is, doesn't come up very often so you could do a quick study and look at each of them I think there's five times one in Titus where a description of an elder that he is self-controlled another one that we're familiar with an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit in fact the last one that's mentioned your version might say temper temperance is that right that's the word the old-fashioned word and then self-control is another uh, way of saying that but there's an interesting one in Acts so flip there, before we get into the meat of our talk, let's just go to Acts and so we can think a little bit about the importance and the role of self-control in the life of the believer. And how can I make every effort to add self-control to my life? And of course, I don't need to repeat the same things I've said all along, it's God that's working in you. Many times we are looking, sitting back and just watching Him do amazing things. But it, he still wants us to labor in it. He wants us to be involved. And he calls us to different, I think, different tasks and different things that we can do to experience his work in us. But there's an interesting thing in Acts 24 where Paul is, he's of course among the Gentiles. <clears throat> and I want to find it. hmm Sorry? 25? 25. Yes. So he's before uh, Felix. I'll just read the, the, the context in verse 22. Felix, you know, this is pretty important man, having a rather uh, accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that's really interesting. Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, so he's heard of Christianity a little bit, He's heard of Jesus. He's from the outside, but he has, you know, of course Christianity is turning the world upside down at this time. And so he's heard of it a little bit. Verse 24, After some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. Now you can see a little bit where he might have heard of it. And he sent from Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment Felix was alarmed <laughs> and you might you might even say he was some of you might say he's afraid and said go away for the present when i get an opportunity i'll summon you at the same time he hoped that money would be given him by paul so so you can see the relationship with between felix and paul here is sketchy and then in verse 27 when two years had elapsed felix was succeeded by Festus, so Felix was out of the picture. So Felix was flirting with the gospel. He was one of these people who was uh, hearing it, but not really hearing it with power. But look at that response. As as Paul talked about the importance of righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix got nervous. And I think as believers, sometimes when we hear talk about self-control, we might get nervous too. Because self-control is something that we, as much as we want it, it's hard to get it without becoming a legalist. If we think about this series of talks on these seven characteristics, I think the part about self-control, being disciplined to add self-control, is the one that's really the most dangerous temptation toward legalism. Because if you look at the history of the church, there have been many ways that Christians have tried to add self-control to their lives, and it has created a real sense of legalism. And it's called in the book of uh, Galatians, false humility. Maybe I'll just look at that really quickly in the book of Galatians. This is the warning. Because as important as as adding self-control is, we have to understand that it comes with, and I'm sorry, that's Colossians, isn't it? Um, It always comes in the Bible with a lot of warnings. because You might even say, because that word self is in there. And that's always a dangerous thing. Look at the book of Colossians chapter 2. Because I want to encourage you and myself to become more self-controlled. But it can't be the type of self-control that turns it towards me, that gets everyone's eyes on me, and all of a sudden I'm, holier than thou, and I'm the righteous person. I'm more self-controlled than you, and therefore more self-righteous. And the focus becomes on our self. You know, self is not in the original word, the Greek word. There's no uh, word for self. Really, the Greek word is just controlled within. A a sense of control within. Um, Not like... Um, be, it, it's kind of contrasted to being controlled, say, by, from without, by a master and a slave. A slave is controlled by the master. But the person who is, what we have self-controlled, is actually somebody who has control within themselves. But look at the way um, Paul talks about talks to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 and this whole chapter 2 he's warning against false teaching and we actually looked at this in one of the other messages but when he gets down to verse 20 he starts moving into the topic of self-control if with christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations do not handle do not taste do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. And what he's saying here, he's saying, why are you so caught up in the human pursuit of self-control? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body or the flesh, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So as we make every effort to add self-control, because what I'm going to talk about primarily today is fasting. But as we make every effort to add self-control to our lives, we have to keep the warnings of Scripture in mind. They are not making you righteous. These things are not making you righteous. The Lord made you righteous one day on Calvary's cross. The work is done. Anything you're doing now is entering into that work He has done. It has to bring Him glory. If it brings you glory, then these are the warnings we have to say. It has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. But that doesn't mean uh, we can just say, well, I'm just going to let loose, and whatever comes ha- happens, I don't want to get too caught up in self-control, because that makes me like, I'll be like, say, a monk or somebody who is locked away and uh, I might be really disciplined but I'm no good to anyone. I'm, I'm I'm kind of a killjoy. That's not what it means to be self-controlled. So what does it mean? And here we'll turn to I'm going to look really primarily at two different places as the main scriptures. Sorry to jump around so much, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because I believe if we If we think about making every effort to add self-control to our life, the thing that comes to my mind is the spiritual discipline of fasting and its role in the life of the follower of Jesus Christ. And this is a place where we can look at our own lives and say, how big of a role in my spiritual growth and my walk with the Lord has fasting played? When was the last time I fasted? Have I ever fasted? When was the last time I heard a, a sermon on fasting or participated in a Bible study about the topic? What are my thoughts on it? What's the first scripture that comes to mind when I hear the word fasting? Those kind of questions are important ones. And what we all realize is the most common times fasting is mentioned in scripture, it's warned against, right? Specific types of fasting are warned warned against but i believe and so that's why i'm preaching on it i believe it's an important and neglected discipline in the church and so i want to kind of bring it back as much as i can okay so we'll talk a little bit today about what it is what it is not how to do it how not to do it that's really the goal and um I would encourage you to think about this maybe in a new way than you have before. Um, Maybe fasting is something you have never even thought about doing. Um, Maybe it's something that you did once and hated it and never went back. But let's just think a little bit about it and uh, spend some time on it today and think of this as a way of making every effort. We're making a new effort to add self-control. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing many false teachings in the church, things that people were saying and attributing it to Paul, but then twisting his words. So when we were studying 2 Peter, Peter warned people are twisting the words of Paul. And in 1 Corinthians, that's happening. And so he's trying to address those false teachings. So one of them was this phrase that comes up twice in the book in verse 12, and then again in chapter 10. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful for me. This is a message that was being preached and attributed to Paul on Christian liberty. And basically, they had heard Paul talk about grace and talk about how basically the Lord took care of your salvation and... You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't be righteous enough for God. And so what that means is all things are lawful for me. I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. And so people were beginning to spread this message, which there's truth in it, right? But they were twisting it and basically saying it doesn't matter how you live. Um, You can do what you want. It's all covered. And so Paul addresses this false teaching twice, and this time... He says, all things are lawful for me, but, this is Paul speaking now, not all things are helpful. Sure, there's Christian liberty, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, and this is the key for today, but I will not be mastered by anything. Or I will not be dominated by anything. or any, Nothing will be my Lord, is another way of thinking of it. In verse 13, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. This is another time he's quoting the false teacher. They say, God made the food, God made the stomach. He made them both. Let's enjoy it. Eat, drink, be merry. And then Paul says, God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So he makes a connection here. The body was made for sex, and sex for the body is another way of saying this false teaching. So basically it's a subtle thing that the false teachers are doing here, but they're basically taking Christian liberty and grace and turning it into a license for sin. And what does he zero in on? What does he zero in on as he's talking about nothing mastering me, nothing controlling me? He starts with food. And he starts with the stomach. And this is why I think the discipline of fasting can go a long way to teach us the importance of self-control, and to teach us the power of self-control, all right? Here's a way of thinking about fasting. We have two hands, and with one hand, we grasp the physical world. With the other hand, we grasp the spiritual. If you let go of the spiritual, which you can't really do, but if you let go of the spiritual and just cling to the, to the physical, then you're the natural man. Then you're the person who's unregenerate. That person is basically living for today, satisfying the needs of his or her body, which include the, the brain, right? emotional needs, other needs that people are satisfying. But they have the one hand, and they're grasping the physical. I don't know which hand I'm using, but they're grasping the physical. But then there's an aspect, if you, ha- if you try to grasp the spiritual and let go of the physical, what will happen? You'll die, right? Because if you don't eat, and you don't drink, and you don't sleep, and you don't procreate, and things like that, you'll be dead, right? And you can't live in this world. So we as human beings are people who are grasping with both hands, one hand, we have grasp the physical, and the other hand, you grasp the spiritual. The discipline of fasting is a temporary letting go with the one hand of the physical and grabbing the spiritual with both hands. And I can tell you from my own experience that the discipline of fasting can open up, I believe, powerful avenues to an experience of God. The reason is, is because it reminds us that we are two persons in one. We have the old man and the new man. We forget that as we walk through this life. But no other spiritual discipline reminds us more that there's two people inside me, warring together, trying to get mastery, trying to win. There's the old man and the new man. Fasting is when the new man tells the old man, you calm down for a second, you take a back seat, I'm gonna, I've got things to do. Because why else would somebody feel hunger but not satisfied? This doesn't have to do with not being able to satisfy it, maybe you don't have any money and you can't buy food. But this is someone who could satisfy that need but chooses not to. All of a sudden we realize there must be two people involved because one of our sel- myself really needs the food, but it's also myself that's saying no. And so I think it's, it's kind of hard to get our heads around, but the experience of fasting can really open up that reality. That there is a spiritual world out there that goes beyond what we can experience with our senses, our five senses. God is spirit. And he who worships him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you read through the book of John, every time the Lord spoke a spiritual reality, people were always wrapped up in the physical. When he told the woman at the well, I could give you living water and you'll never drink again. She's like, great, give me that water so I don't have to come back to the well. She's stuck in the physical, right? When the Lord warned the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, they said, Uh, It must be because we forgot to bring bread. They're always stuck in the physical. So the discipline of fasting is basically a chance for you to deny the physical so that you can embrace the spiritual. And it's temporary. We can't always live there. We wouldn't want to live there, even if we could. But I think it's important, and I think it's relevant. Let's look at what the Lord Himself said about fasting, because this is, whenever I said, what do you normally think of, this is probably where your mind went. Let's go to Matthew 6. So we're talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting as a way of, one way of making every effort to add self-control to our faith. Just as a definition, I believe that fasting is basically, in scripture it is always related to food, and it is a temporary um, cessation of eating for some reason. It could have lots of different reasons, but that's basically the bare definition. In common, in our contemporary day, people have extended fasting to uh, include other things, like for example... Uh, I'll choose to fast from using my cell phone for a day. Anything that threatens to have mastery over us, I'm going to choose to cut that off temporarily to remind myself no one or nothing is my master except the Lord Himself. So I think that's okay. I think it's okay to extend the concept of fasting into anything that threatens to master me if I just love video games and I just can't stop playing them, a fast from that would be basically I'm just going to choose not to do that. I could do it. I'm allowed to do it. No one's stopping me. But I'm going to stop myself because I don't want that to get too much control over me. And so I think that fasting could be extended to that. But let's look at Matthew 6. And what we see in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord addresses the three characteristics of religion that are always there in every religious expression since man existed on the earth. Giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. They have always been part of religious expression. I would say until contemporary Christianity, because we don't really do much fasting. It's mainly just giving and praying. But through the history, if you study religion, the history of religion... Fasting has always been an element. It just makes sense. If religion, and of course I'm not trying to promote religion. We don't have a religion, right? We have a relationship with a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. But if religion is an effort for a physical being to communicate with a spiritual being, it makes sense that I'm going to fast, right? So that I can say I don't want to be wrapped up in the physical. I want to do the spiritual. So every religion has fasted. And so Jesus takes these three things and he addresses each one and gives a warning about each one. He starts with giving alms or giving to the needy. This is also an aspect of of religion, the social aspect. But he says, when you do it, don't do it this way. And he warns against doing it for the glory of man and all this different stuff. He doesn't command anyone to give here. He just says, when you give, as you always will. Because anyone who tries to reach God is going to be involved in giving. Do it this way. When you pray, verse 5, he doesn't say you have to pray. It makes sense. If, you're going to, if it's a physical being trying to communicate with a spiritual being, there will be prayer involved. Mm-hmm. When you pray, don't do it like this. Vain repetition, all those things. And then he comes to verse 16. And when you fast... Because it makes sense that you're going to fast as people in bodies who are also spiritual. He says, don't do it this way, do it this way. And so I think that we, as followers of the Lord, shouldn't be surprised if fasting can have benefits because it always has, just like prayer. Think about prayer. If you met somebody who said, I don't really do any praying. I'm a Christian, but... um, I don't really pray. I tried praying once back in college. It was kind of hard. So I just gave up. I know other people who do, but I've never done it. That would be really weird, wouldn't it? You'd be like, wait a minute. A Christian who doesn't pray? It's shocking. But when it comes to fasting, that's usually how it is. I know some people who fast. It's kind of weird. Um, I've never done it. So I'm not trying to say that they're equal. The Lord, one time, he links it a couple times, prayer and fasting. But I think it is a powerful thing. And if you have never experienced it, try it out. What's the worst that can happen, right? You know, the three things are connected in the mind of God. Prayer, fasting, and giving. Because fasting is basically letting go of the physical so that you can communicate with the spiritual. That's the prayer. And what happens to the stuff that you let go? It goes to someone else, and that's the giving. So fasting not only has a spiritual impact, but for Israel, it also had a social impact. So if I could just jump back to the Old Testament in Isaiah 58, this is the other warning passage about fasting that sometimes we push too far, and then we say, well, I'm never going to fast because look at how terrible fasting is in Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 58... Uh, The prophet is coming to Israel and basically uh, telling them the way you do religion is wrong. You are trying to view religion as a way of manipulating God and getting Him to do what you want. And that's not what it's for. That's not what this law is for. And so he comes down to verse 3 and he's putting uh, words into the mouth of the people. Isaiah 58.3, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? For those of you who are in the Thursday night Bible study on Jonah, you'll recognize this connection between fasting and humility. All the people of Nineveh, the whole city, fasted. And because they showed that great humility, the Lord relented from the disaster He was going to bring upon them. And Israel is saying the same thing. We fasted and you didn't see it. What's the problem? And then the Lord has this great question in verse 5. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And then in 6 he says, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. So what's happened is they have missed the spirit of fasting for just the letter. They just think fasting is, well, I'm just going to not eat and God's going to see that. He's going to see how righteous I am. He'll do whatever I want. And the Lord said, no. In a closed system like the nation of Israel, there are rich and poor and the day of fasting opens up this whole wealth of food and provision for the poor. He said, this should be uh, you should be giving this stuff away. There should be a spirit of love in your fasting. Your fasting should make you more like me. It should make you gracious. It should make you merciful. And you should be ready, just overflowing with giving. And so, <clears throat> we see the, the role just really quickly that fasting plays in the Bible. People will fast to show repentance and humility, like we have in Nineveh, in Amos, is the other passage we read in our Bible study, and in many other places. What we see in the New Testament most often is people fasting for direction from the Holy Spirit. So you'll see the New Testament Christians, after the Lord had given the Holy Spirit, we would find them fasting before making an important decision. It's almost as if they're saying, We're giving our, you know, we're going to momentarily let go of our grasp on the physical so we can grab the spiritual with both hands so we can make this decision and we know it's the Holy Spirit who's making it. There's a, sometimes we see fasting as almost like an energizer battery put into our prayer. You see that a couple times. Where uh, people will fast almost to show the Lord, Lord, I want to not just be on, I don't want to just pray. I want to show you that I'm serious, basically. And so they'll fast. And the other aspect is this social aspect. Fasting is meant to be a check on, you might say, conspicuous consumerism, where basically people eat more than they need, and other people don't have as much as they need. Fasting was meant, especially the national fasts, were meant to remind people you don't actually need that much. Be a giving person. Be a generous person. So you really have all four of those facets that I think we could even make application in our own lives. um, That fasting could make us more generous people, more powerful prayers as we seek God and intercede. Think of Moses, 40 days without... Food and without water, a supernatural fast. It doesn't take necessarily supernatural power for someone to go 40 days without food, but of course, 40 days without water is impossible. And then Moses and Elijah both experienced that at the hand of God. But he's up there interceding for the people. He's saying, Lord, don't kill them, you know, don't wipe them out. And he is Letting go the physical, that he might grasp the spiritual, that he might meet God in a new way. And we can have that same experience. You know, in each of these talks, I just want to look briefly at Joseph. I would mentioned that earlier. So if you want to just turn to Genesis. Joseph was a self-controlled man. So we see that in his refusal to submit to the seductions of Potiphar's wife. right? He's self-controlled. He's someone who is not overwhelmed by his body. In fact, the only time we see him overcome is by his brotherly love. So we'll talk about that when we get to brotherly love. He can't control himself anymore, and he bursts out. That's a beautiful scene. But everywhere else, he's very controlled. He's a controlled person. This is not a stoic person. A stoic person is someone who never feels emotion. They kind of... Trick themselves into just being like, what you know, just to walk around, never smile, never frown. That's not the way Joseph was. He was a man of emotion and a man of, I'm sure, passion and everything else that we have, all the different desires we have, but he was someone who was self-controlled. And it led him to great success. But it's not really that that I want to look at, his personal self-control. I wanted to look at the way he calls Egypt to self-control. By interpreting Pharaoh's dream, and so we know the story very well. It's in Genesis 41, so I don't need to read the whole passage. <clears throat> but look at what he does as this uh, threat of famine is coming. Um, Pharaoh receives these two dreams about the the cows <clears throat> and uh, the wheat. And I want to just read basically as Joseph interprets this dream in verse 25 of chapter 41. Well, we don't need to read. Just for the sake of time, you know he interprets it. uh, The the seven fat cows are seven good years. The seven skinny cows are are seven bad years that are going to come after it. The, The bad years eat up the good years. Right? So the famine is going to wipe them out. That's what's coming. That's the judgment that's coming. And so he says in verse 32 the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. God is going to shortly bring this judgment about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. I was thinking about this story. I was like, what would have happened if Joseph hadn't said this? What would have happened if there was no, we're going to scoop one-fifth off every year? They would have consumed it all. And you know, I think we're like that. You know, as the holidays come up, as as they approach, it's a time of feasting, right? Uh, It's a time of eating a lot. And not just eating a lot, literally, but consuming a lot, especially in this country. There's a lot of, they they call that conspicuous consumption. All our hopes are put into this month of consumption. That's keeping businesses afloat. But I think that in our own lives, we can, the discipline of fasting can be a kind of check on that where we consume more than we actually need. Joseph was calling the Egyptians to self-control here. He was basic, and of course it's the Egyptian rulers that he's really speaking to, the wealthy. They had more than they needed. What would they have done? Throw a big party and throw half of it away. That's what we do a lot of times. And we in this country have been blessed beyond measure physically, and sometimes we're doing that same thing. We're, we're, we have more than we need, and we're just like, just consuming, consuming, consuming. So it can be a reminder during this, especially during this time of year, a fast can be a reminder, Lord, I'm not finding my all in these things. Of this world I'm going to kind of cut that off for a little bit it takes a lot of self-control I mean it takes a lot of self-control that says I want it I want it I want it but I'm going to abstain I'm going to abstain for just to remind myself that there's more to this life than what I see and what I sense you know the last thing I'll say here as I close is to think of the Lord himself the Lord Jesus and maybe we can just look at John 4 you know There was a lot of fasting going on during the Lord's days. They had regimented fasts. They would fast every maybe twice a week. If you remember the Pharisee, he said, I thank God that I'm not like that man. I fast twice a week. I do all this other stuff. It was a symbol of outward holiness. The Lord Jesus doesn't seem to have participated in those two fasts. This is not part of the law. It's part of the traditions of the Pharisees. And the Lord didn't do that. And the followers of John, you know, they came and said we're all fasting, why aren't you guys fasting? And he said the familiar phrase, the friends of the bridegroom, when they're with him, he's not going to fast. So when did the Lord fast? If he didn't fast on their holy days, when did he? There's a couple times. He fasted in the wilderness for the 40 days. But I'm interested in this one in John 4. It's an informal thing that happened. We know the story where he's at the well of Samaria. He sends his disciples to get food. And he sits down at the well and has this conversation about water with the woman. And look at what happens when they come back. Verse 31, the disciples have come back. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, here's that misunderstanding again. Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Does that mean he never ate while he was here on this earth? Obviously not. But the Lord was fasting here. They brought back food, but he wasn't eating it. You know, he was hungry. But it wasn't some thing where he's like, well, it's Wednesday again. I got to fast or it's Friday. I can't eat meat. It wasn't that kind of thing. He was involved in the Lord's work and it was filling him in a way that food could never do. And I pray for myself that this would be the kind of fasting that I would find in my life. Something where I'm almost led into it by the Holy Spirit. I heard a guy say one time, fasting is feasting. Because when you fast, you realize this spiritual truth that the Lord puts out. My food is to do the will of God. That can be your food too. As your body is hungering, And that new man is saying, quiet down. I'm communing with the Lord. Fasting can be feasting for you and for me. I would encourage you, try it out. If you want to try out a one-day fast, I would encourage you to fast from lunchtime to lunchtime, basically skipping two meals, supper and breakfast, a 24-hour fast. If you've never done it before, you might want to try a juice fast where you only drink fruit juice and just cut out food. If you want to fast longer, I would encourage you, don't believe what your body is telling you. You don't actually need three square meals a day to to live. You won't die. The hardest part of the fast is typically days one to four, and then after the fourth day, all the toxins are kind of out of your body, and you start feeling strong, and many people will say uh, they they feel like they could fast forever, and then around day 21, Actual starvation starts to kick in and you get hunger pangs again. But don't let the fear keep you from doing it, especially the fear of legalism. I feel like it's crippled us as the church. We're so afraid of legalism that we're hard, we, we, we feel hesitant to put any effort into righteousness. Mm. And we're missing out. Through history, many people have benefited from the discipline of fasting. And, and I pray that it can be true of you and of me, maybe in a new way in the coming year for his glory amen, amen.